this country. Let's turn to John chapter 17. And we return again to this series of studies. We're going carefully and we're going thoughtfully. We must. We've sung a wonderful hymn that speaks of the holy ground of Calvary. And this is the words of the Lord Jesus in John 17 as he prepares for Calvary. He's coming and he's speaking to his Father. We have a privileged glimpse. We can listen in, we can eavesdrop into the words of Christ. What a mighty privilege. These are holy words, this is holy ground. We come with a good dose of fear and reverence. We can't glibly just walk and wander through. We have to pause. We have to think of these wonderful words. They are giving us insights, thoughts, understanding of that perfect relationship between the Son and the Father. This is the only perfect relationship, the perfect relationship between God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and the Son to the Holy Spirit, this triune relationship. We think of them as one God in a sense. It's all one relationship. It's a perfect one. And this morning, if I have one aim... It is this, if you want to know how to live, live as Christ lived, in perfect communion with the two other members of the Godhead. That really is what we're going to learn this morning. If my life would be better, if it would be straighter, if it would be purer, if it would be cleaner, if it would have more impact for my God, then I need to walk as Christ walked. I need to pray as Christ prayed. I need to understand the truth of God's word and everything that he says here is deliberate, it's intentional, it's teaching us. So let's read these two words together. My title this morning is Union with Christ. Union with Christ. Christ had perfect union with the Father, and I desire to have union, to be one with Christ. And I learn how to do that by seeing how Christ had union, how he was one with the Father. So verse 20, John 17. He has been praying one prayer request for himself that he would be lifted up and he would have glory as he had before, as we say, he laid aside some of the aspects of his glory for a time. And he desires to be lifted up and to have the glory that he had before the foundation of the earth. Christ, remember, he wasn't created, he wasn't born. He was begotten. He came into this world from heaven. So he prays for himself 
and then verses 6 down to 19, he's prayed for his followers, his disciples, the ones that he can see. But what he teaches is just as relevant to me and to you. And in verse 20, there's a change of person who he prays for. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them which shall believe. He's looking into the future. If there's anybody here this morning who loves Christ, he's praying for you. If there are those here this morning, and I trust there are, who shall believe, he's praying for you. If you haven't yet professed Christ, if you've not come before the church and said, he is my saviour, He's praying for you this morning. I don't pray for these, my disciples alone, and Mary and Martha and all the others, but I pray for those that shall believe. He's praying for the whole church. Not everybody who's here this morning is in the church. You're in a building, but some of you are not in the church. You haven't identified with Christ. You're not on the Lord's side. Christ is praying for you. Everybody that will believe. Well, that's our subject this morning. Let's just think of Christ. Christ is pure and holy. How do you define holiness? We speak about men of God being holy. But let me define holiness this way. Holiness is living in total agreement with the Father's will. Oh, that's what Christ did, didn't he? Do you remember on the day of Christ's baptism? The voice comes from heaven. The Spirit descends. The Father speaks the Trinity is all there, and the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Beloved. The love for the Father, for the Son. My beloved Son. Always loved. And then he says those words. In whom I am well pleased. Do you know if you want to walk with God, if you want to be pleasing to God, your heart needs to be in total agreement with his will. You can't do that if you're an unbeliever, if you're not converted, if you don't know Christ, if your life is ruled by Satan, if you're walking under the power of sin and Satan, you cannot possibly live a life well-pleasing to God. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Christ is praying for you on the cross, and he's praying for you before the cross. Holiness, living in total agreement with the Father's will. That's what I want. I don't want to live life my way. What do I know? My desires, my agenda. You want a perfect house? 
You want a perfect body? You want a perfect life? You're not going to have it. But if you want a perfect relationship with Christ, walk in his ways. Be in total agreement. When we have a problem as a Christian, it's because we're clashing with Christ, clashing with his word. We're not walking in his ways. If you've got a disagreement between a mother and a father, if there's a marriage that's there's some tension, it's because you're not walking in perfect agreement. That's holiness. Walking in total agreement with the Father's will. What's happiness? Holiness? What's happiness? Happiness is taking delight in being holy. You ever heard that expression, that phrase before? Happiness is taking delight in being holy. And to be holy means to be in the will of the Father. Do you know the great problem we have? We pursue happiness instead of holiness. And if you want to pursue holiness, you need to pursue God. Let me say that again. If you want happiness, you need to pursue holiness. And the only way to have holiness is to have God. So, by deduction, if you want to be happy, you need more of God. Seek him. Be in his presence. Read his holy word. Be with his people. Pray to him. Be in the secret place of the Most High. That's where you'll have more of God. And if you have more of God, you'll be more holy. By definition, you'll be more happy. The problem is, we seek happiness in the fun fair of life. Vanity fair. At best, its happiness is gone. At worst, you'll become addicted to pleasure. And you'll want more of what's temporary. Don't seek what's temporary. Seek what's eternal. The only thing that's eternal is God. That's what we need, more of God. Not more pleasure, not more happiness. We start with God. He gives us holiness. And then we have happiness. There's a great problem in the churches today. People are changing the great words of the catechism. Do you remember what it says? The chief end of man is to enjoy God. People think the chief end of man is to enjoy happiness. Happiness is the result. It's not the priority and the aim and the highest pursuit. The church has turned it upside down. Happiness first. God last. No, we come to God first. We seek holiness by being right with God. And then, when we desire agreement and walking in his ways, he gives us happiness. Well, that's just an introduction. Let's turn to our first point this morning. It's here in verse 20 of John 17. Do you know Christ? What, what would he pray for? Just think about it. If we can possibly have some 
tiny conception of Christ's thoughts. What's he going to pray for? World peace. Well, he doesn't pray for that directly. Is he going to pray for climate change to stop? No mention of it. What's the first thing he mentions? This is significant. I don't pray for, that's who he's praying for, his people. I pray for them also which shall believe. He's praying for his church. He's going to die for them. He's going to suffer for them. He's going to suffer indescribable agony and suffering, and that's what we can see. What about the unseen? The judgment of God poured out from heaven upon the sun, the holiness of God that requires justice. And he prays for his church, those that shall believe. He's thinking of the persecuted church in the first century, many of whom will be martyred. He's thinking of the church as it grows into Europe, into Asia, into South America, into Africa. He's praying for his people. That's his first prayer request, his church. And what's he really praying for? He's praying for salvation. That's his big request, salvation. Well, how will they believe? How will they believe unless they've heard? How will they hear unless they have a preacher? That's what it says in Romans. He prays for them that shall believe on me through their word. He doesn't say my word. That's true. My word hopefully is their word. But he says their word. It's personal. They've taken the word of God. They're recording it in the letters, in the gospels. They're writing it down. It's recorded. Soon it will be known exactly what is God's word. Don't believe the lies that say that didn't come to the 4th, 5th century. It was known by the end of the 1st century, most of the word of God. By AD 50, it's nearly all been completed. Every church says, we read that book. That's the truth. I was there. I've heard. It's recorded. They will believe on me through their word. The testimony of many witnesses. People that saw the resurrected Christ. People that saw the changed lives of those that believed. That heard Peter preach. And Stephen. And Philip. And Paul. And John. As he went to the island of Patmos, they're hearing what's been recorded and what they've seen with their own eyes. Those that shall believe on me through their own word. What was their message? Their message was about the reality of Christ, his life, his word. And the message that he gave about his heavenly Father. Oh God, 
Just think for two minutes about God. Have you ever thought of the person of God? This is deep. God is infinitely happy. He doesn't need anything or anyone. He didn't need me. He doesn't need you. He didn't need the world. God in his spirit, that's who he is, has everything internally. He's happy beyond comprehension. And there he is. For some reason, he desires to create the world, to reveal his glory. And he desires to send his Son to reveal his glory and a message. How can we see the God who is spirit, who is infinite, eternal, immense? We see it through his word. We see it through Christ. God, holy, happy, happy, blessed, infinitely happy, not needing anything else. And you know, just as God is happy, and Christ was happy in his divine character, but bore sorrow as a human character, so he grants to each one of his children that we can have the blessing of God. The blessing of God that doesn't need anything else. No props, no therapy, no support, nothing artificial, no tricks, no gimmicks. All I need is God. And that brings my blessing. You understand? It comes down from God through the Son to me, channeled through the Father to the Son by the Spirit into my life. He came to give us a message. It was about the reality. God is real. He's a Spirit, but He is real. We know it. We feel it. We read it. We see it. We hear it. And his identity, the reality of Christ in his message, in his word, and his identity. Do you know him? Do you know Christ as your Savior, as your Lord? If you don't know Christ, how can you know God? He's the only way to the Father, is through the Son and through the word that he gives. That's our first topic this morning. Let me see that. Even more clearly said, verse 21, that they all may be one. Who? Those that he came to speak to, to reveal himself to. Those that would believe on me through his word, that they may be one. We're not one. We're separated from God. We're apart. And he desires to reconcile us in Christ, through his word, that we may be one with Christ. That's your need this morning. That's my need, to be one with Christ. So the second point quickly is that unity 
That's what we need, being one. But unity who with? There's two points here, points two and three. The first, a concern for souls, Christ's prayer request. And secondly, unity. Unity. Unity, first of all, together. How can I have unity? I can't. I'm sinful. I'm awkward. I'm difficult. Difficult to live with. How can my wife live with me? Well, only when Christ gives grace and mercy. And as somebody said at the wedding yesterday, the five bears, bearing with one another and forbearing with one another. Oh, what grace we need. We can only be one with each other in marriage, one in the church, if we've got the grace and the mercy of Christ. He says here, this is his prayer, that they may be one as thou art, Father, also one in me. Christ and the Father, they're one. And if we know Christ, we can also be one with the Father. Psalm 133 has some delightful words. It's a short psalm. Our beloved honorary deacon, John Housden, he loves these words. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It doesn't stop there. That's a statement. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And how do we know that? Because it's like oil coming down on the head and the face and the beard and the clothes. And what does, what happens? Imagine you saturated me with perfume. I, please don't do that. Maybe aftershave. That would be bad enough. But imagine the most pure fragrance that there has ever been, not man-made, Christ-made. And imagine that sweet perfume, the most expensive perfume ever, purchased, procured, and it's put all over me. And you, imagine the aroma. All people would know it, wouldn't they? They would sense it, smell it, talk about it. It would be heard. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's likened to a perfume rolling down, tumbling down every part of me. That's just a picture. There's another verse in the Bible that says, See how they love one another. Oh, it's good, isn't it, when we dwell together in unity. We have to work at it. It's only the Holy Spirit that can enable us to function as a church. Somebody comes in and says, I don't like that. I don't like him. Grace says, no, just calm down. Grace says, bear, forbear, love one another, dwell together in unity. Well, is the unity at any cost? That's a question often asked. 
Can I put up with somebody that says and does something wildly different? And the answer is no. One of the first verses I ever preached on in this church, 2018, was Proverbs 23, 23. Somebody's nodding. They know the verse. Do you know what it is? Buy the truth. Sell it not. We never seek unity and sacrifice truth. Once we've got hold of truth and procured it, considered it to be worth more than anything else, we're not to sell it. So what do I mean? Unity at any cost? No. But unity, where we believe the same things about God's word, about Christ, about the way of salvation, about God and him and his person, oh, we never sacrifice those. If somebody says you can get to heaven anyway, no. If somebody says you don't have to believe the word of God, just believe the New Testament, no. If somebody believes that God is not three persons and that Christ is inferior and he doesn't share unity with the Father, no. We can't believe that. Not unity at any cost, but where we believe the same fundamentals about those things, we can have unity. We guard very carefully who preaches in this pulpit. They must be orthodox. We guard those who we can work together in open air, in the town. We must have unity. But at work... And in the family, well, maybe the things that people believe and the way they worship, it's different. It's not what we do. We've had a different conviction. We protect it, but we can have fellowship with them. We can be friends with them. We can help them. So, isn't this what Christ means? That they all may be one. He's already said in verse 17, the truth, the truth is to be guarded, but we are to be one in different ways with different people according to what they believe. What creates unity? The truth. We can only have unity in the truth. If a Roman Catholic says, can I preach in your church? The answer is no, I can't. They believe in a different saviour. They believe in Mary. They believe in the confession box. I can't do that. In fact, the Roman Catholics believe there's many ways to be saved. My Bible says otherwise. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's move on. Let's look at our third point this morning. Unity with each other, that's the second point. Salvation for souls, that's the first one. But how can we have oneness with Christ? This is what we desire. This is what you need if you don't know Christ. You need to be one with him. And he's made that possible through his word and through believing on me putting your faith in Christ, 
And if you put your faith in Christ, you will turn from sin. You will repent. You'll walk another way. But there is oneness for believers. What do we believe? How can I be more holy? How can I feel God? Not through something physical. Not through going to a holy place, Lord's Mecca. How can I be one? Well, the answer's given here. Let's read verse 21. That they, those that will believe through their word, the church, may be one. As, just as, the Father art in me, the Father, his will, his purposes, his presence, they are in the Son, and I, Christ, am in the Father. We're one. Everything, what we believe, what we teach, what we love, we're one. That they also may be one in us. You see, unity is Trinitarian. Not just with Christ, but with the Father also. If you know me, you know the Father, because he sent me. I in thee, and that they also may be one in us. How? Why? That the world may believe. Let me put it like this. If you want to be one with Christ this morning, is that your desire? Do you feel cold? Is there a backslider here this morning? You don't feel your sin? You don't come to the prayer meeting when you could? You don't read the word of God? Well, don't expect to feel the nearness of Christ. Don't expect to feel the closeness that comes in being one with him. The nearer we are to him, the more we feel our sin. The more we read the word of God, the more we will feel our sin. The more we'll come under conviction. The more we'll mortify the deeds of the flesh. The more we'll follow after righteousness. This is the Christian pathway. There is no magic. There is no special experience. There's no laying on of hands. This is how we can know. Oneness with Christ and then with the Father by believing on me through the Word. It's that simple. If you want to feel nearness, Pastor, you talk about this so often. What does it mean to be near? I want to be near, but I don't know how. Well, are you praying? Are you drawing near? If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I'm not far away. I'm near to all who call upon me in truth. Psalm 145, verse 18. Look it up. If you want to feel nearness, draw near. Come to the word. Pray to him. Say, Lord, I, I, I need to feel the nearness. I need to feel my sin. I need 
the Lord's presence in my life? How are you going to go into tomorrow and all the burdens and the cares by living nearer but nearer to the Lord? That's how. That comes through his word, by his spirit. We don't work it up. You don't go to a special place and have it worked up. No, it's your responsibility. I use this word very carefully and I'm almost uncomfortable with it. We are to cooperate. We are to be partners. Oh no, vastly unequal partners, but we're to take our responsibilities carefully. He says, you draw near and I will come to you. You follow after righteousness and seek my presence and you will know it and feel it and it will be a wonderful thing. That is being one with Christ. That's what we need to desire. It was said of Samuel Rutherford, the great divine of Scotland. He lived up near the borders. He was known to be a man of God. They said, when you came into his house, you could feel this was a man of God, a godly man. And this is what they said of him. He fell asleep thinking of Christ. His conversation was of Christ. And he even confessed that when he was asleep, he dreamed of Christ. Do you know anything of that? If you're in the Word, if you're thinking those words, behold the amazing sight. If you think of Calvary often, that's drawing near. Maybe then you'll think of him, speak of him, and even dream of Christ. Christ will be the savour, the fragrance of your life. And boy, how people will see that and know it. They'll come into contact with you. They'll see your words are pure, and your life is clean, and there's the presence of God there. And this is genuine. This isn't worked up. This is the presence of God in a life, one with Christ, one with each other, and a burden for souls. That's our three points this morning. May the Lord help us to live nearer but nearer to him. Let's sing our closing hymn.